Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food Safety Matters, the podcast for food safety professionals. I'm Stacey Atchison, publisher of Food Safety Magazine. I want to thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode in celebration of Black History Month, which was created to focus attention on the contributions of African Americans to the United States throughout our shared history. In keeping with the mission of Food Safety Magazine to provide science-based solutions, it's fitting that the focus of our discussion today will be the life, achievements, and legacy of Dr. George Washington Carver, an agricultural scientist, inventor, and humanitarian. To help us with this discussion, I'm so pleased to be joined by two distinguished guests, Dr. Norma Dawkins and Larry Keener. But before we start our discussion, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our guests. Dr. Norma Dawkins is a professor, research scientist, and department chair of food and nutritional sciences at Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, Alabama. She has been actively involved in teaching and research in academic institutions at the national and international levels. She also worked as a senior scientist in the food industry. Her most recent work involves basic and applied research in the prevention and reduction of risk factors associated with cardiovascular disease, cancer, and obesity among underserved population groups. Dr. Dawkins has numerous publications covering foods, nutrition, and community-based intervention to her credit. Larry Keener is president and CEO of International Product Safety Consultants, where he provides food safety and food technology solutions to the food processing industry for a broad client base of Fortune 500 food companies, academic research institutes, and government agencies. Larry is an internationally regarded microbiologist and process authority in the food industry. His areas of expertise range from applied food microbiology to the development and application of novel preservation technologies. He's a past president of IFT's non-thermal processing division. Larry has received numerous awards and honors, including 2013 Fellow of IFT and a Lifetime Achievement Award by the International Union of Food Science and Technology, or IUFOST, for his work in microbiology and food safety, and has published more than 100 papers on subjects related to food production and food safety science. Larry has deep ties to Tuskegee University as a two-term past president of the Food and Nutrition Board, advisor to the NASA Center for Deep Space Research, and led in developing a collaboration among numerous organizations, including IFT, USDA, and numerous food companies that culminated in the convening of the first George Washington Carver Lecture Series at Tuskegee. He is the recipient of the George Washington Carver Distinguished Service Award from Tuskegee University. Larry is a great friend to the podcast and Food Safety Magazine as a member of our editorial advisory board and to me personally. So it's my great pleasure to welcome you both to the podcast today. So to get us started, I'd like to give our audience an overview of who George Washington Carver was in his place in time and history here in the U.S., George Washington Carver was born into slavery on a farm in Missouri in either January or June of 1864. At the age of 11, he left the farm to pursue an education. He traveled from one Midwestern town to another before eventually graduating from high school in 1880. 
He was the first African-American student at what is now Iowa State University, and in 1894, became the first African-American to earn a Bachelor of Science degree. Impressed by his research on the fungal infections of soybean plants, his professors asked him to stay on for graduate studies. In 1896, Carver earned his Master of Agriculture degree and immediately received several offers, the most attractive of which came from Booker T. Washington of Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University in Alabama. Booker T. Washington had convinced the university's trustees to establish an agricultural school to be run by Carver. Carver accepted the offer and would work at Tuskegee Institute for the rest of his life. In 1921, Carver appeared before the Ways and Means Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives on behalf of the peanut industry, which was seeking tariff protection. He described the wide range of products that could be made from peanuts, which not only earned him a standing ovation, but also convinced the committee to approve a high-protected tariff for the common legume. He then became known as the Peanut Man. Dr. Carver would go on to be known at the time as the greatest living Negro scientist featured in Time magazine in 1941. Dr. Carver is most widely known for inventing 300 uses for peanuts. Late in his life, a visitor asked Carver if he believed his peanut work was his greatest work. No, he replied, but it has been featured more than any of my other work. Dr. Carver died in January of 1943 at Tuskegee Institute. He was 78 years old. He was buried next to Booker T. Washington on the Tuskegee grounds. Now, there's so much to dig into here, and this really only scratches the surface. I just wanted to give a little bit of an arc here, but let's dive in. Such a rich history. Thank you, Stacy, for giving us your microphone and and giving us the opportunity to celebrate Dr. Carver and to celebrate um, Black History Month. This is a uh, it's very generous of you and and BNP Publications to create this space for Norma and I to engage with you about Carver, uh, who the man was, uh, and to talk about his legacy and the impact on food science and technology and agriculture in the United States that that in in, in fact derives from uh, his tenure as a professor at Tuskegee University. Yes, and I just want to concur with Larry in thanking you for giving us this wonderful opportunity to share information on one of the greatest scientists in the United States of America. So thank you so much for allowing this opportunity. It is our great pleasure and honor to be with you both and to celebrate Dr. Carver. A, a couple things. It, it it occurs to me that, you know, that Carver, for all of... Um, you know his accolades. I mean, he had. There's a postage stamp. Uh, there's a battleship name for him. There's the the Carver Center in in Washington D.C. that that's the that houses the USDA's Agricultural Research Center. Uh, you know, I still think that there is a lot 
so much more uh, that needs to be told about this man's story. And and I think, you know, beyond um, Black History Month, uh, some, some years ago, uh, when we were putting the Carver Lecture Series together at Tuskegee, I, you know, I sent letters out to my friends and colleagues around the world to solicit to solicit their support uh, for the lecture series, and I asked them to write letters back that I could share with the faculty and the administration at the uh, at the university. And one of those letters, um, Dr. Cornelius Verstig from the uh, Food Science Australia um, wrote me back and he said, and I quote, Carver was one of the greatest agricultural scientists and indeed food chemist and scientist in the world in his time and in our view in history. Outside the U.S., Carver is not as well known as he should be, who in our view is in the same league as other famous food scientists such as Nicholas Apert and Louis Pasteur. Um, and and I've, I've thought that that was, you know, coming from outside the United States. Case is a, um, as you can tell, he's he's a transplant. His uh, ancestry is Dutch, but Case grew up down in Australia, and and Case Vestig was is has quite an international reputation himself as a uh, a, a food physicist and food engineer. Um, and and thinking about what Case said here, um, I had recently reread a book by Ralph Ellison called The Invisible Man. And in, in that, I was struck by the quote, I am invisible, Ellison wrote, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. And so, so I think in a lot ways outside of the United States, this might be what has happened to Carver. In his 19, I mean, in his 2011 uh, book, Mark Hersey, uh, the title of the book is uh, My Work is That of Conservation, which is a very interesting spin on who Carver was because Hersey says that Carver was uh, the leader of the environmental movement, the modern-day environmentalist movement, uh, is is the thesis that uh, drives Hersey's, uh, Hersey's book. In, in Hersey's uh, book, he, he talks about a visit in, in, in 1908 by a British anthropologist, uh, uh, Johnson, and Johnson was invited, according to to the to the book by uh, Teddy Roosevelt, 
to the United States. And Johnson had been working in South Africa, looking at um, and studying African people. And he he had concluded that the, that the racist views held about the intellectual capacity of African people. And he thought uh, black people in the diaspora was receiving short shrift. So he came over and was sent down to Tuskegee to meet with uh, Booker T. Washington and and George Washington Carver. And after spending some time with, with Carver, um uh, Johnson uh remarked that that this this man, this African man, was uh indeed um of the same intellectual capacity and the same level of curiosity and the same level of genius as were his contemporaries working in the sciences uh, in Europe. And uh, again, so this is an, an, an interesting, this is a, an interesting aspect of, of Carver's life and, and, and the idea of a black man an African man being as accomplished at the turn of the last century as was Carver was confounding. It it defied the it defied the the, the standing orthodoxy about the intellectual capacity of black people. And Heresy goes on to write that perhaps Carver's great contributions to the science may have been overshadowed by the fact that he was a, and I use this term only because of its historical context, he was a great Negro scientist, that his, his work in science, his contributions to the science, were overshadowed by the fact that he was a Negro scientist. In in other words, so the celebrity was about his genius as a black man, and it and it and it and it took away from the work that he was able to do. And and so yeah, his his work uh, beyond the peanut, uh, I think. Um, if if you if you look into his work with the sweet potato, with soybeans, uh, with with hemp, with rice, um, it it's it's a it's astound astounding uh, to comprehend the uh, the whole spectrum of science in which this man worked, and to consider the the fact that you know given his start in life that he would reach this level of acclaim this level of success um you, you know re reminds me of a of a quote from Maya Angelou 
and and she says like the dust uh we still rise and i i think that that's pretty true and then uh, there's an, another quote from Maya angelo that i think is is apropos for the the moment i.e black history month and and maya said that the more we know about our history the more liberated we are and and, and i think that this is really a big driver for Carter G. Woodson in 1926 in the founding of Negro History Week. Um, so here, so here we are, um, nearly a hundred years later, uh, and we have this opportunity to to share about about uh, the great accomplishments of of Carver. And Larry, just to pick up on some of the things that you have mentioned, one of the things that I admire most about Carver is his tenacity, is the tenacity to overcome challenges and to be at the top of his game. And I like one of his quotes that says, there is no shortcut to achievement. Life requires thorough preparation. Veneer isn't worth anything. And so when you look at his legacy and you look at his life, that quote fits in exactly to what he has accomplished. You know, all the struggles he had gone through, but it did not dampen his spirit. He, know, he knew what he wanted and he worked towards that. So I think that uh, that quote is very fitting. And what I like about him is he was an humble person. Although he was a brilliant guy, he was very humble. And so when you look at most of his quotes, they have real life application that is applicable to us today. Yes, and that brings me to a, another quote. Uh, life is to be lived, not controlled. And humanity is won by continuing to play in the face of certain defeat. You know, that's to, that, that's always resonated with me. Um, uh, and, and, and especially, you know, when Carver went off to Simpson College, you know, Stacy did a great job of setting the, the stage and giving us a, a brief history, but but Simpson College and and Carver's time from eighteen ninety to eighteen ninety one at Simpson College is very important uh, in his uh, future development and his future accomplishment. I dare say that had he not ended up at Simpson College, he probably would never have found his way to. Iowa State uh, University. Simpson College was founded by a a, a friend of of Abraham Lincoln, Matthew Simpson, and it's a Christian school founded in 1860. Carver was the first African American student to attend the the school, and interestingly enough, uh, he studied art and music. He 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 want Carver desperately wanted to become an artist. At Simpson, 
uh, his fellow students called him Mr. Carver because at the time he was 24 years of age. He was older than most of the students on the campus. Um, and, and being the first African-American student to attend that school, well, you know, integration wasn't uh, an easy thing, and Carver was, uh, was not allowed to live on the campus. He lived he lived off of, off campus in what was uh, described by Mark Hersey in his book as a as a as a shack, uh, and he sustained himself for for most of the first year on, according to Carver, uh, a diet of cornmeal mush because he didn't have money to buy anything else. In in this hardship, uh, Carver seeking to earn some money to support himself opened a laundry service he he did laundry for uh his fellow uh students as a way of of earning uh money and he also while at simpson became a very um uh highly regarded uh for his study of the Bible, and he became a, a Bible school teacher. So I, I say again, Simpson College is pivotal, pivotal, because he at Simpson uh, meets with Etta Mae Budd, and she was his art instructor, and she uh, saw this man's talent and understood his his intellectual uh, gifts and his artistic gifts. And she became uh, his friend and advocate and supporter. It's interesting that Etta Mae Budd's father was also a botany professor at um, Iowa Agricultural College. Um, and it is with Etta Mae Bud's encouragement that Carver actually goes to study at Iowa's uh, State University. Etta Mae, Etta Mae uh, was very um, impressed by his artistic abilities, but she told Carver that she didn't see a very bright future for a black artist artist. you know and she was concerned that he wouldn't feed himself Mm -hmm. he couldn't he couldn't develop himself as as an artist at the same time he met dr and mrs milholland uh mrs milholland was a, a music teacher and the choir director at the methodist church and she was impressed by Carver, Carver's vocal abilities, his singing abilities, and she kind of took him in and gave him lessons. But perhaps, aside from Etta Mae Bud, at Simpson College, his meeting with uh, Mrs. Uh, Arthur Liston, he, this in later life, he, he would refer to her as kind of a, a mother figure that, that he never had, because you recall that that Carver and his mother were kidnapped by night riders when he was a when he was an infant and Carver never really had a mother so he says in his writings that Mrs. Liston 
you know, assume this role as mother figure. So here at at Simpson College, these these people, Edda May, Edda May Bud, um, Doctor and Mrs. Milholland, and Arthur Liston play a pivotal role in in causing Carver to go on to Iowa State uh, University. So Norma. Yes, and I'm going to stay with George Washington Carver quotes. I really like them because they are so applicable. Um, there is one that he, he wrote. It says, how far you go in life depends on you being tender with the young, compassionate with the age, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong. Because someday in your life, you will have been all of one of these. And so if you think about the wisdom yeah. that he had, you know, when he wrote all these quotes that are so applicable in our time and that translate to what he did. One of the things I like about Carver, I mean, there are so many historical things that he did. For example, we see modern um, technology now where Vans carry healthcare, education. Carver started that in 1906. He, inici he initiated the, the Jessup wagon, which was used to bring education to the farmers out in the field. What Talking about innovation, talking about thinking ahead, very smart, uh, just calculatedly smart, if there's such a phrase that I can use. And so at that time also, what was going in America was also historic because he was here making products from different raw agricultural raw material. But at that time, President Theodore Roosevelt was also signing in the Pure Food and Drug Act, two historical things, education and wheels and the Pure Food and Drug Act by Theodore Roosevelt in 1906. So when we look at Dr. Carver, as um, Larry said earlier, he has not given all the recognition that he should have been given over the years. But here at Tuskegee, we are trying to make sure that that legacy uh, goes on. So, Larry, talk a little bit about the Jessup Wagon and and his work with the local black farmers and how important. Uh, I, I was fascinated reading uh, about Hersey's coverage of that and how important it was uh, in Jim Crow South, um, yeah. how he worked uh, with the farmers. So it, as Norma said, this the concept of the Jessup Wagon, it, as as far as as I see it, is kind of the um, the the precursor to the extension services uh, at at the modern day land grant universities. Um, Car Carver said that you needed to take the education um, to the point of its application. And and which which brings begs a very interesting question about Carver's arrival at um, at Tuskegee University, yeah, because mm -hmm. you know he he arrives at you know at um, at Tuskegee with a, a a you know the the best 
education imaginable at at the time in um in agricultural and ag and agricultural practices i mean re remember he'd he'd studied with wallace and and Tamil Jim Wilson, and he had studied under Lewis uh, Pamel. He 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 had the best education possible in agriculture when he arrives at Tuskegee University, and, and so so his conceiving the the Jessup's wagon and this approach to education at the point of use is uh as as Norma said, it it was groundbreaking. It was uh it was cutting it was cutting edge and it made the difference and some scholars have said that uh with the Jessup wagon, uh Carver was able in fact to save Southern agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the agriculture ha had been destroyed by King Cotton. The soil had been destroyed by King Cotton, and and Carver went back and and showed people how to rehabilitate the soil uh, and how to uh, grow crops and and rehabilitate, if you will, southern agriculture. Yes, so in line with the Jessup Wagon here at Tuskegee, it was designed at the time to meet the needs of the farmers. And so here at Tuskegee, carrying on the legacy of George Washington Carver, we have the George Washington Carver Integrative Sustainability Center. And it's pretty much recently built. It's a new facility that housed USDA agencies as well as TU faculty and staff. The design or the aim for the Integrative Sustainable Center is to make sure that we are still meeting the needs of small and socially disadvantaged farmers. So here at the center, there we are able to fulfill their needs, provide the type of advice that they need to make sure they are being economically viable, not just working in the farm without be being able to live comfortably. So the George Washington Carver Sustainable Center is one of those that we are using to carry on the legacy of George Washington Carver. So that would be an addition or an expansion of the Jessup Wagon because we are still out there working with individuals who are underserved. Again, there's so much richness and so much texture in this, this man's life. Stacy mentions um, Carver's work with elucidating the uh, fungal infection of 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 soy of this of the soybean crop and uh so so here again is another aspect of this man's life and career and his work that that goes under underreported um his his uh, uh work as a as a mycologist and while working at the uh Iowa State um, Research Center uh, as a graduate student 
um, is 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 remarkable, and and it's remarkable in that, you know, I, you know I went, <laughs> I spent my my whole career studying mycology and bacteria and yeast and molds and and I never heard of of Carver's work in this space until about two years ago, wow. and and there is a um, a whole um, center at Iowa State University that's dedicated to Carver's work in mycology. He was he was he was brilliant. Uh, he 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 had the ability to, uh, you know, it, it it he had the he had the this uncanny ability to see things and and understand things that that other people um, that didn't. And he's and he. And it's and it's and it's this uh, that attracted me to uh, to to Carver long ago, and attracted me to um, working in in uh, in 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 the sciences in microbiology. Carver said in another one of his quotes, "If you love it enough." Anything will talk with you. Hmm. So that quote, you know, I re I remember, you know, I was an undergraduate at at Cal, and I re I remember reading that quote, and and being perplexed by what he meant and what he said, and 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 it and it's a question. That stuck with me, but Carver, Carver's, Carver's uh, relationship to the natural world was one of of harmony. He he was in touch with the the natural world in a in a very unique way, and he credits this relationship with the natural world for the insights that he had into the soybean plant for his insights into his uh, relationship with the, uh, with the yam and the soybean and, and the uh, products that resulted from his investigations of these plants. He said, uh, the peanut told me that, uh, that this chemical was here. The, the yam told me or informed me that this chemical, uh, was here. That, that fascinated and continues to fascinate me. But the fact is that he said, if you love it enough, anything will talk to you. And I, what, what a, what a message to the rest of us, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And in line with the peanuts, the histories that George Washington Carver made peanut butter, right? But it, it <laughs> but that's not but that's not it. He made several products, over three hundred products from the peanut, which include oil product, beverages, medicinal product, cosmetic dyes. Just go on and on and on. So at that time, peanut was like all rounder. He used he used it at the time to just make several things, whether it's food, whether it's for ozone products, general paper, he developed insecticide. He, Meat he substitutes. Was, he was so, <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. so brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah. and so for us at Tuskegee, we want to keep that legacy going. And so one of his quotes that I'm going to use again, 
it has always been the one ideal of my life to be of the greatest good to the greatest number of people. So how are we doing that at Tuskegee? We're carrying on his legacy. So we have two educational programs. We have an integrative bioscience PhD program. So far, it has trained over 40 plus PhDs that are changing the world, both in basic as well as applying sciences. We also have another program, Integrative Public Policy and Development PhD program, again, preparing leaders for a new tomorrow. That's not all we are doing at Tuskegee. We have a Tuskegee-led Black Family Farm Fruits and Vegetable Market and Innovation Center in Sel Selma, Alabama. And of course, you know Selma is an historic city in the state of Alabama. And that, that center is focused on packaging and marketing agricultural produced by small farmers in the Black Belt and adjacent counties, Alabama. So again... What are we doing? We are carrying on the legacy with these programs that are meeting not the needs of leaders for tomorrow and also meeting the needs of the small farmers and individuals who are usually disadvantaged. So, so Norma, that, that then, you know, brings up an interesting question about contemporary life. And and the role of the HBCU in the education of uh, young African Americans uh, and other people. I mean, we want to get, we want to dispel this myth right away that these HBCUs are all black schools because they certainly they certainly are not. Uh, they are primarily. Uh, the the student bodies are primarily African American or, mm -hmm. or, or other people of color, but but the role of a, the HBCU uh, at this late date in our country's history um, is is a is a is a, a point of curiosity. It's a point of discussion. It's a point of debate. Uh, what's what's your perspective on the the role of the HBCU? Uh, today? Well, as we see today in the 21st century, it's just as important as it was back in the 1800s. Why am I saying that? Because the HBCUs, they play a significant role that probably wouldn't be played by any other institution. Why am I saying that? One of the mandate for, I would say, for HBCUs HBCUs are able to engage students who probably would not have made it in, in a general setting. They are given the nurturing. They are given the ability to function at their skill set to make them comfortable enough to be able to progress further. The HBCU have trained great leaders in the United States and other parts of the world. We have the vet school, the Tuskegee University Veterinary School of Medicine, that that um, trained oh, most of the African American vets in the United States. So when we look at the function and the 
importance of HBCU, it cannot be understated because the number of students who we are able to take from that underserved population and train them to bring them into mainstream America and leaders, it's, it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, Larry, it's very important as it was back then and probably more important now because we still face some of the issues they faced back then. The race issue is still there. The feeling that, you know, certain people are more, uh, in, some people are inferior, others are superior. We still have those issues. So I don't think the, the, the importance of HBCUs will ever diminish. Mm-hmm. We, we would we would hope that at some point well the need to 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 overcome those beliefs right hopefully we'll struggle right. continue the struggle, <laughs> struggle continues the struggle exactly. continues but yeah. Yeah. the importance um you know Larry you brought it up at the beginning of the discussion that you know that belief that Norma just spoke to that uh that Africans and and African Americans and blacks people of color writ large are not as smart um it's certainly not brilliant and all of those things the importance of being able to be in an environment that is so completely supportive and yes. and nurturing and safe uh you know imagine you know, having to, to, to just be able to do away with all of that noise exactly. and, and undermining to be able to really dedicate yourself, uh, to your studies and excel, um, and just shine as, uh, as we all, you know, yes. yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, so, you know, to, to make it personal, um, you know, at Berkeley, um, you know, I was the only African American in the program, yeah. right? And so that you know, people don't think of people don't think about that aspect of of an education where there is this microaggressions mm -hmm. from uh from your peers, from your classmates, and professors, and professors. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, um and 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 so in spite of all of that noise and all of that interference you know you still have to put your head down and uh, uh stand in there and and fight and I, and i think that you know the hbcu offers um our children an opportunity to be educated without having to put up with all of that noise. You're right. I mean, just to get an education, to to go into a place where, you know, there is an expectation that you will excel as opposed to going into a, a situation where there's an expectation. You're going to fail. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Larry, just to add to your point, how many students, how many black students are Larry Keener? You see what I'm saying? So you were in that setting and you survived. But I can tell you, based on some of the students that I've been encountering over the year, they would never survive. They would have dropped mm -hmm. out of college. Mm -hmm. And so the, the HBCU is providing that environment, that comfort space, 
that they can function and thriving and be very successful. And we have, as a matter of fact, even one of our recent graduates, she um, completed her master's degree. And I just did an interview, I think a month ago, where they were trying to employ her at FDA. Now you're talking about us working with students who can assume leadership position in the United States. And that's what HBCU is all about. They are in all sectors, health, education, government, just list it and you find graduates from HBCU in the, those positions. And I'm almost gonna say, if there wasn't an HBC, you probably wouldn't have those because the, the environment at the HBCU is conduce, conducive for growth and for confidence building. And so without the HBC, you would have had many of these falling through the cracks. I think you're right, Norma. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and, and I do agree that the uh, role in contemporary life of the HBCU uh, is, is as important as it has ever been. Uh, those schools are those schools are very important, and and I'm and I actually I'm glad that um, it's it's through a project at Procter and Gamble uh, that I was uh, invited down to Tuskegee, and and as Stacy in the introduction talked about my relationship with uh, with Tuskegee grew out of an interaction of uh, at uh, Procter and Gamble and and I'm I'm pleased to be able to to help out uh, to do what I can to uh, make those schools uh, great places for young folk to get an education well in creating the you know, Larry, your great uh, um, ability to to network, to create coalitions, to bring people together, yeah. um, to uncover all kinds of things, <laughs> and 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 how much we all gain from coming together um, and working together to common goals. There's a lot of talk in food safety writ large right now, and I imagine in f in in food science writ large yeah. about the pipeline. Where are where is the next generation of scientists coming from? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then you get into the discussion of you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Well, we we want to create diversity in our workplace. We want to be inclusive, but we just don't know where to look for black talent. Um, so part of part of the purpose of bringing this to everybody's awareness is also to highlight that HBCUs yes. are tremendous resources <laughs> for black resources, talent. Resources are black talents, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. you're not sure of, of that this can also be a gateway, you know, by working with HBCUs mm -hmm. can help network to find other uh, ways to, to find black talent. Um, so, but we also, you know, need to grow more. Uh, and provide more opportunity and equity for more students uh, to excel. Yes. So this this uh, brings me to to uh, I think a a nice quote from Carver that you know just might tie this whole thing together. And maybe this is a bit of serendipity. <laughs> America is woven of many strands, 
I would recognize them and let it so remain. Our fate is to become one and yet many. George Washington Carver. Yes, that's profound. I, I think that's I think that's America. Yeah, that's profound. It is indeed. And 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 I think a perfect place. <laughs> a perfect way for us to end. Yeah. So once again, I want to thank both of you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing your incredible experience and wisdom and sharing the amazing legacy of 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 Dr. Carver with us today and the importance of HBCUs. Thank you both. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you for having us. And of course, to our audience, we want to thank you all for listening. And that's it for us today. We'll talk to you soon.